Hey everyone, this is Mark. Welcome to El Lector. In this episode, Marcos and I interview Juan Sanchez and Carmen Palaez from Miami Motel Stories, an awesome production that wrapped a couple weeks ago in Little Havana. Marcos and I each had a chance to experience Miami Motel Stories, and both of us loved it, as you'll hear in the episode. I wanted to give a quick note, though. We recorded this episode sitting outside on 8th Street in Little Havana. It was a beautiful night out. And you are going to hear lots of road noise. You're going to hear sirens, motorcycles. At one point, there was live music you could hear from the ball and chain, which we were very close to. So I just wanted to let you know that is what you're hearing in the background. So to set the stage, Miami Motel Stories is an, an immersive theater event in which a motel was converted into the space for a play. So the way it worked was in the lobby, you would enter and your ticket would be taken and you would be ushered up to the second floor where you would be placed in front of a door. And then two, two viewers would go into a room and a, a vignette would unfold, a scene would unfold. Then you'd be moved to a second room where a different scene would unfold and a third room. And then after you'd seen your three scenes, you'd be taken downstairs where you could wander in and out of a number of rooms where there were little vignettes happening in a very extemporaneous fashion. It's a really, really cool event. Both Marcos and I had each uh, experienced it for the first time, and we just thought it was such a neat thing that really told a beautiful story of Miami that we just had to reach out to Juan and Carmen and the Juggernaut Theater Company and just find out more information. So enjoy the show. We had a blast meeting them and getting to know them and interviewing them, and we can't wait to hear about the next project. Enjoy Elector. As the torciadores, a.k.a. the cigar rollers, quietly rolled their cigars, and the despaliadoras, a.k.a. the strippers, stripped the stems from the tobacco leaves, they were entertained, informed, inspired, and enlightened by literature and the daily news. So began the tradition of El Lector, the reader. This is the El Lector podcast, stories and cigars from the exiled South, we hope you'll enjoy it. So, welcome to the Electorg Podcast. Uh, this is Marcos and Mark, and we're sitting here tonight with Juan Sanchez and Carmen Pelayes. Welcome. Thank guys. you. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Um, we're only doing that because we've been talking for a few minutes, and this is a free-form interview. We, we do, somebody's always reminding me, one of our other friends, Marcos, you sound like NPR. <laughs> that's then that, I that, that's not a up. horrible thing. They, yeah. they, they've got great podcasts. They so do. You're, you're in good company. But we want it to be conversational, so right, yeah, right. we're doing that here. So... Anyway, we were talking a little earlier. We always open the show. We do smoke cigars when we do the podcast. We don't force our <laughs> interviewees to smoke, but you're welcome to take I'll, one. I'll if you have like. one. Yes, yes. I haven't Why, had would one you in like a while. one? I'll take one too. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I have no idea oh, if these go. are thank you any good <laughs> yeah. or if they're uh, mediocre or whatever. But these are called Crazy Alice cigars, and they have a, a cool uh, like a. Like, yeah, like a the, Calaca Alice. Yeah, yeah. The, the other a Day of the Dead Alice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the shape an, is interesting. It's like a 
It's like a full body torpedo. <laughs> like yep. The whole thing is a torpedo. Yeah. Oh, this is one of those flavored cigars. Okay, I'm, I'll bite. It smells, it has a little sweetness to it. Mm. Are you opposed to that? Are you a purist? No? Mm. no <laughs> okay. I'm cool, I'm good, I'm good. Yes, yeah, yeah. I have I'll, other I'll, ones here. I'll try everything once. Yeah. <laughs> once. Once. As Joe Piscopo <laughs> once said. Yeah. All right, so Miami Motel Stories brought us here tonight. And um, okay. basically, um, first of all, I want to thank both of you for being here with us tonight. And I want to give you a little more background. I was talking to Carmen and Huang about the, you know, what El Lector is and where, we, where it came from. But something funny happened last week. So I'm watching... I had connected with you. You don't know this, but you and I had connected one time on Facebook because, you know, it's a really connecting thing. It really right. builds relationships, right? Or destroys yeah. <laughs> or, or destroys relationships yeah. or yeah. tears people apart before they get a chance to know each other That's as right. human beings yes. or, or gets you work or exactly. it's, or gets you work. it's yeah. a Pandora's box. Right, right. So I, I went on there. You and I have a mutual friend, Joe Cardona, Uh-oh. Who's, who's a part of this podcast. Yeah, friend of the podcast. Yeah. That's, a, that, a that's gotta be trouble. Yeah. You gotta look out for that guy. Mm. But this is during the, when Obama opened up relations with Cuba and made the announcement. And there was a lot of conversation about it on Facebook and you popped up on a thread and I was getting frustrated because a lot of folks were very, you know, you know, Miami hardline. We're not, this is this is bad all the way around. There's nothing good about this, and and I was staying quiet. I was just like, well, how do you how do you talk about this? You know, so in you come and you say exactly what I was thinking on the thread, and then that gave me cool. the ability to come in and chime in on that topic. <laughs> I'm glad because I actually worked on it a little bit. I I worked with the Obama. I worked to, uh, a little bit on the trip and. Moving forward, I, I they invited me into the the Cuba policy politic, yeah. and now I'm going to be working with the Obama Foundation Excellent. on anything that they do with Cuba. So I'm I'm very proud of my work very on that. Cool. But I was I was definitely brought in on the you know before the trip end, and um, the people. Even though it is always difficult to talk about Cuba issues with Miami, especially if you're not a hardline right winger to talk publicly about it i think it's important to note that a lot of the architects of it came out of miami yeah. and they're like hardcore democrats and progressives <laughs> yeah. and they are as as um as diehard believers in democracy mm-hmm. and and um the american way as they are against any dicta- any dictatorship or any communism so that i think that was really kind of like a watershed moment for us and what they did kind of gave more people the space to come out as democrats i always say if mm. miami came out of the closet, out of the closet. <laughs> like cubans were allowed to come out of the political closet it would be amazing a year ago today um i was literally with the pastelito project we were dancing back and forth on 8th Street every time the line would change and the light would change yeah. to try and get votes for uh, Hillary. Oh, wow. So, we, and we were all kind That's of funny. like, you know, crying in our beers, um, in our tacos, because we went to a taco truck party. <laughs> yeah. But yesterday, we have, we've got, have an ongoing chain, an ongoing WhatsApp chain. Right. And today, we were all celebrating the major gains yesterday, mm. and um, kind of like how the tide is turning back again, yeah. right. where people are really just deciding, conservative and Democrat, you know, this isn't the way to go. How yeah. can we do better? Right. So it's right. kind of a, yeah, that was, um, it was a Miami initiative, even though it's really hard for us to speak up on it. Because mm-hmm. the first thing they say, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 I 
no! And you're like, oh god, I, you know. Well, so so here's the, here's the weird thing. So I hadn't, I had that exchange with you back then, and I just remembered your face. I just because I'm I'm good with faces. So fast forward to last week. I'm not making this up. I I'm I'm working on something. We'll talk about it later. Uh, once you be see if you want to be a part of it. And and I'm doing research. So I'm reading and I'm looking at documentaries. And so I'm, I'm, I go on Amazon, I think, and I find this documentary called Craving Cuba. Mm. And I'm watching it. And I go, hey, that's her. <laughs> that's that lady. And I had to look at, oh, Carmen, because I didn't know your, your name. Right, and right. I was like, okay, cool. And, and again, everything you were saying. And I'm, a cons- I'm, I would, I'm what you would consider a conservative-leaning person, you know, maybe moderate, conservative, moderate. The older I get, the less conservative I am. And, but you know, I'm, I'm still you lean. Evolve. I, uh, yeah, I, I, or, or, or devolve. I don't know which, which way it is. One, one or the we'll other. call it evolve. Yeah. It's, it's a Tuesday, so it's one or the other. You relax. I'm relaxing. So, and I, once again, watching it, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I read what you said resonated with me. Then I show up. My wife and I had bought tickets to Miami Motel Stories, and we show up. And I walk into a room, and there you are at a typewriter. And I'm like, what oh, funny. the heck is this? You know? <laughs> so what we wanted to do tonight, we wanted to talk about both Huang and, and, and Carmen. And just um, basically, let me give you some background for the listeners. Huang, uh, Huang Sanchez is a, the writer of uh, Miami Motel Stories. Can yes. you say hello? Hi, how are you? Okay, you getting him up there? You getting yeah, him yeah, there? yeah. Okay, good. Okay. And <laughs> Huang Sanchez is a writer, and he's a Cuban-born playwright who's been living in Miami's Little Havana since you were six years old. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. Where were you born in Cuba? I was born, when? Where? Oh, where? Uh, Oriente Contra Maestri. Oh, wow. So you're, yeah. The, okay, yeah. cool. I mean, you know. Yeah. You're hardcore. I, I'm hardcore. Yeah. That's I'm colonial hardcore. right there. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah. And I remember colony. it all still. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you've, uh, uh, basically, Huang has written numerous plays and he's, uh, his work has been produced in Miami, New York, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, and the UK. Uh, so welcome, Huang. Thank you. And we're going to get into more of uh, your, the heart behind Moto Stories, which apparently is you as a writer. And we also have with us uh, Carmen Pelayas, who I've been speaking with here. Hello, Carmen. Hi. Okay. And Carmen is an award-winning actor and writer, and she's performed her solo play, Rum and Coke, which I definitely want to see. I, I didn't know that existed until the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, I got to see it. To rave reviews in L.A., Chicago, Off-Broadway, and <clears throat> most recently shot it live at the Freedom Tower? Yeah, yeah, I shot it live, and right now I'm talking with uh, a couple of distribution channels, and we'll see which way we go. Wow. Yeah, I'm excited. Exciting. That's exciting, yeah. Very I can't cool. wait to see it. Because like I said, I saw, I saw a TV clip of it. Of them interviewing in New York or something like right, that. Really right, right, cool. right. Yeah, That's yeah. when I did it off Broadway. Yeah. So, and inter- also, sorry, oh, go, no, go oh, ahead. No, just an interesting note on rum and coke. That is how Carmen and I met oh. when I was working at um, Coconut Grove Playhouse. Coconut Playhouse. Uh, she was um, performing rum and coke. She was down. She had been living in New York at the time, and she was in Miami. She had been her show had been brought in and was being presented by the Grove for three months. Wow. So we we ended up, you know. Connecting that, that's and where we met. I would see Juan every day, and I, I would say to him, I finally, I, I just, he was such an interesting person, and finally I said to him, what do you do? 
<laughs> I had just finished writing my first play. I, yeah. have to, yeah, I had just and, finished and writing my first very play. Very sheepish. I, I, no, because I said, you're either brilliant at something or you've got like heads in your freezer. Yeah. <laughs> and Juan, very, you know, Juan likes it well. Why are those mutually exclusive? Well, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Right? But I was young. So yeah. I was like, and he was just like, well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer. And I'm like, really? What do you write? And he's like, well, uh, uh, pl- plays. And I was uh. like, oh, my God, bring me your play. I want to read your play. Next day, he brings me his play. I had done, I think, two or three shows that day because they had, like, we had, like, good sales. So, they like, I felt like, I don't know. I don't know if it was doing two or three. It was a big day. I was the house manager at the time at the Gokuno Grove Playhouse. Wow. It's important. Okay. So that's kind of why she asked what, what else I did. Yeah, what yeah. else I did. and What else he did. And then he brings me his play. And I was up till 3 in the morning reading it got up at seven to finish it and I when I came back downstairs I was like waiting for him oh sorry I was waiting for him to like get to the playhouse and I was like what the hell are you doing like working in a theater when you're that great a writer my god like I was so blown away by his writing it was just and it was his first play and I was I was I mean I'm telling you I, I was transfixed by the characters you created, by the story, and I was like, you're a brilliant writer. How can I either act in your work, help you get your work out, like, please use me as a resource, like, immediately I became like his biggest fan. She yeah. submitted my, she asked if she could submit my play to a theater company in New York, and that's how I got my first, uh, my wow. first New York um, wow, off-Broadway yeah. credit through through Carmen Pillai's um, yeah. with Terra Nova Collective and his yeah. brilliant play because I could have submitted it and they would have been like yeah what are you doing yeah yeah but thank you but Very cool. his no, thank work you. is wonderful Kudos and it's all as, both of you all I've ever read of his work has only ever been wonderful yeah yeah cool. so well Marcos and I have had a chance we we've each we both came on Friday nights we saw different tracks but could you set up for our listeners just tell us about Miami Motel stories for someone who's not familiar with it so yep. sure um I'd say it started. Uh, it this um, it was inspired by a play that I that I actually wrote back in 2012, and it was produced in 20 in 2014 called Paradise Motel. It was a fictional story about uh, a motel in Calle Ocho, you know, and uh, it sort of spanned over 50 years, and it told the history of that hotel. Same room, different characters, each scene 10 years apart. Tanya Bravo, who runs uh, Juggernaut Theater Company, um, saw the production and um, she wanted to sort of do something with me and with the play and wasn't, but we weren't quite sure what it would be, whether it would be a remounting or something. At the time, she had gone to New York and um, was cast in a play with Tamela Woodard who has um, a theater company uh, up in New York City, and what she does is this immersive theater site-specific work. Um, Tanya worked with Tamala on this particular piece, and a light bulb went off in her head. She was like, wait a minute, Paradise Motel, why don't we find an an actual hotel or motel uh, where the play, where a, a play can take place and tell the story, you know, of that neighborhood and of that of of that building, and that I mean, that was just the beginning of uh, the conversation that eventually became Miami Motel Stories, wow. you know. So, cool. Yeah. So, you both are from Miami. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, you're well. You were born and raised in Cuba. I was born in right. Yeah. And then yeah. six years old. You where yeah. were you? Where area was, were you born in? I was born in El Mercy. Like I used to tell people. Uh, El Mercy. Yeah. I didn't speak English until I was got to kindergarten, 
Um, so I was, you know, I was, I would tell people Caracuana, pero I was from Miami. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and the, and I would say, they, no, but then you were born here, you're American. And I'd always say, no, no importa donde la gallina deja el huevo, importa donde viene la gallina. Right, right. <laughs> and I was like, what is this American thing you're saying? Because I have yet to step into America. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I was born and raised here. And then I left for New York when I was in my 20s. I always forget what age. I know it was 93. Yeah. I left in New York to go to American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Okay. Okay. Excellent. And, and why now? You grew up in this area as well? Like in right around, this is your Yes, hood? I grew up here, man. Little Havana? I, uh, Little Havana. Yeah. I, I, right now I live four blocks away. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is everything I know. I mean, you know, I went away to college for a couple of years. I went to sure. Georgia. I went to uh, yeah. Tallahassee. I, but I mean, yeah, but this has been my, my home okay. in this neighborhood. Yeah. Well, now, when you're writing this story, right, you're writing this, Tanya comes to you and says, hey, I got this idea. Um, the inspiration comes from your own mind, Paradise Motel, and, and obviously, and then the immersive experience, right? But what did it mean to write, have, be able to write a story that was so Miami connected? I mean, what, what did you draw from for that? Well, I mean, you know, the the research for me about uh, first of all, I'm in, I'm in love with Little Havana. I'm in love with the history. I love, um, in general, I just love to sort of uh, learn about how things become what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think that the evolution of things are is always, to me, something that's so interesting. Um, I had already done a lot of research um, about the neighborhood through Paradise Motel when I was told that this building is what was available to me. Um, I immediately discovered that it had been, you know, a YWCA, you know, a, yeah. a, a home mm-hmm. for Christian women. It had been a hospital. It had been uh, an apartment building. I mean, it had been all of these different things, you mm-hmm. know. So immediately it opened up the world of my research. And um, and, and to be able to just, just go back and continue that kind of work that I had started with Paradise Motel and learning more about the neighborhood, yeah. you know, and going even further back uh, to the beginning was just, I mean, it was a gift. To so me. tell us about the beginning. Like what was, okay, so, oh, just to give the listeners some background. So the the play takes place in an actual hotel yes. here in Little Havana. Two floors. Two yes. floors um, that I'm assuming has been vacant for quite some time or... No, actually, no. they sold. Uh, the I think the last tenants left about a year ago. Okay. Um, so I mean, you know, um, right. yeah, just it, yeah, yeah. So um, what was it before they left? Like an apartment building? Or? It was an apartment building. Okay. It was uh, it was the Tower Hotel, and it had the same owner, the children, uh, the the son, David Sheckman, owned the building, um, which the father Henry Sheckman bought in the 40s. When it up was, until a year yeah. ago, he had the yes. place. Yes. Wow. Yes. So it was in the family since the 1940s. And Henry Schechtman in the 40s also owned Ball and Chain. And, That's um, yeah. 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 And so I, one of the rooms that I yeah, get to see. You got to, see, got to, that, to see that story. I was yeah. so inspired by that piece. And it was, uh, yeah. I mean, Henry Schechtman was, um, was a Jewish man who, you know, owned the Tower Hotel and Ball and Chain. And um, it was a, a jazz club, and he presented a lot of uh, black musicians. Uh-huh. And one of the reasons he bought the place is because the back door sort of faced uh, or was close to the uh, Ball and Chain, and he would sneak black musicians to stay in in, in the place, and he would open the wow. door to That's them during segregated, you know, 1950s, you know, yeah. Miami. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that was that really was, cool. Yeah, so, yeah. so you, you're you're so you're digging into this building's history. Um, yeah. One of the one of the 
we can speak freely about the play, right? Is sure, okay. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the the scenes that I saw that impacted me, now that you mentioned the the black artists who came over here, was Billie Holiday. Now, yeah. tell me about that because that one really impacted my wife and I. Tell me about that story and that's the connection also, here. Yeah, that, that you know that's also based on 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 truth. Billie Holiday did play uh, occasionally, you know, at, at the Ball, Ball and Chain. Chain. There's yeah, there's 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 actual information that you know um, wow. out there and she was very she, she was uh, very close friends with Henry Schechtman mm. so she stayed at the hotel she would babysit his children uh, on occasion and uh, yeah you know and that was that just that that was very touching to me yeah. um, in the scene you know she's involved she's in, in a kind of heroin days yeah she's going yeah. in and out of it you know um, there is a story circulating that Henry Schechtman did find her one day passed out on the floor with a needle in her arm. Oh, okay. You know, so that's kind of was the inspiration. Got it. I may have made up the needle in the arm. <laughs> okay, I, th I think I may have actually taken poetic license. To, yeah, yeah. You know, but there, w there was something I can't remember he right found now. Her. Yeah, he found, yeah. So that was sort of like, oh, wow, wouldn't that be kind of awesome to sort of like, you know, mind that moment oh. and just like, boom, it was so go there. Ridiculously powerful. No man. Uh, the you. actress Vanya Allen oh, is genius. Vanya. Oh, yeah, she really is. She's. I mean, she captures the essence of Billy. Like, as an actor, to approach somebody that's so well known and not do a copy, but capture the essence is probably one of the hardest things to do. And Vanya is just a monster. I She's agree. just a I brilliant. Agree brilliant actor and the yeah. way she takes that on is my sister like adores Billie Holiday she's one of like Billie Holiday is one of my sister's gods yeah. and my sister she's been in the film industry she's not phased or impressed by anybody but when she saw Vanya afterwards she was like <laughs> she, she was like fangirling sure, a little bit because sure, sure, Vanya's yeah. performance was so powerful yeah. wow yeah. Yeah. I, I did not know who that was being portrayed when I walked in. So again, to continue the setup, yeah, you, you yeah. walk into these rooms, uh, these actual rooms in this old hotel, and the theater is played out in front of you. So I basically walked in with my wife into this room, and it was us and this young lady. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at her, you know, basically she's, she's uh, injecting herself in the bathroom, and yeah. she just comes out, and she's got her hair up. And I'm, I'm going, who is this? Yeah. And then she starts singing, and it was the voice that made me say, this is Billie Holiday. Yeah, that's I had no awesome. Idea. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's how great she was. And, and then I heard her sing Strange Fruit. Well, that night, I couldn't sleep. I went wow. home. I looked up everything I could about Billie Holiday, and I heard that song. And, and I first listened to uh, Nina Simone sing it, which was ridiculously mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then... I got to hear Billie Holiday sing. I'm like, the, the fact that she wrote this song at, at, during the time, the, the way the times were, it was powerful. And, and again, thank you for bringing it, because I wouldn't have known that. And I think that's one of the benefits of this, this kind of uh, event. It's more historic. It's artistic, but it's, it's so f entrenched in history. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. I mean, if I may, as, to me, having lived in New York for so long, coming back to Miami and seeing that Miami's really at a precipice of becoming a major city and a major cultural player. Um, I think what was beautiful for me to, for this to be the first thing that I'm acting in, in, in since I've been back, you know, in, in a live performance kind of way, is the fact that Juan does mine our history and he uses Miami talent. Like every room, all those actors are fantastic. 
And I've seen Fantastic. And I would put my hand in the fire for any one of those actors. Because he's not only telling our story, but he's giving artists a chance to interpret it. And I think that when people come in and they see these different stories and these different times in history, it gives us a sense of history. And it's going to build community. Because if you know that that's happening, you do want to preserve the community of Little Havana. You do want to preserve the history of Little Havana. And to me, that's a great advantage to what Juan and Juggernauts decided to do. Is it's you know it's really make us invest in what we have and yeah. not try and you know just uh, you know not think too much about our city or about our place, but really make us understand that this is our place and we're now a part of that history. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, you know, another amazing gift was uh, working with Tamela Woodard, the director, who sort of you know spearheaded the. I mean, she she was the head of the immersive experience stuff. You know. Yeah. Um, when we were sort of, um, because when we first met, we didn't know what the story was going to be. I mean, you know, it was a, yes, we had an idea that it was sort of something that would that was inspired by this play that I'd written a couple years ago, but we didn't know what this building, once we were in it, what it would tell us or how it would change everything. Huh. And one of the first things that Tamala asked me was, what's important to you as a playwright? What is important to you about telling, you know, and it was it was about history, and it was it sort of uh, connects to what you were saying. I really wanted people to understand and and sort of feel that this is Little Havana, yes, and it's mostly Latino, yes, yeah. but it's it's all it's all it's 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 it belongs it to all us. of us. It was here before us, <laughs> and yes, and it yeah. connect. You know, we're all sort of connected to it. You yeah. know, the the. The Jewish man who lives on Miami Beach now, his great grandfather probably may have lived here at one point. Yeah. You know, and I really wanted just everybody to feel like this is our community, not just mine. Yeah. You know, yeah. to create that sense that you're talking about. And you definitely get a, a sense of that there. I don't want to gloss over because I, I, I just think I didn't want to talk about because we're going to talk about you and Monica later on and your, your part in it. But I, the other one I saw, which was also very powerful, and you can pass this along to them, was the nurse with the the, the, the gentleman who had come back after from the, the war. war. Yeah, that was beautifully done as well. I, I mean, I, I was impressed with the whole thing all the way around. Yeah, fantastic. So one of the things that we that I was thinking about today um, was that how in when you walk into the room with the actors and you're there, you get the impression almost like I had to write it down here. Uh, you're given this intimate look. It's almost ghost-like. Yeah. It's like you're, yeah. but you can't tell who's the ghost. Is it the, the yeah. actors or are you the that's ghost? Beautiful. <laughs> you that's beautiful. That's awesome. And that's no, really that's what I was great. thinking wow. when I walked in there. And, and I thought um, it was a very odd experience for me. I, I, my wife and I, you, they told us, please interact. You know, and Mark, you said yeah. Crystal sat down on the bed. And <laughs> yeah, she, the it was the... <laughs> yeah. um, the drug they, they set oh up. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so dealers. at one point, yeah, there's there's a, an altercation between three drug drug dealers. Yeah. And at one point, my wife had decided, oh, I'm gonna sit. She sat on the corner of the bed, <laughs> and the, she re, she told me later she realized they were kind of like re figuring out how to throw the guy <laughs> yeah. without hitting her. Like. <laughs> yeah, so. every, every night is an adjustment for the actors depending on what, what the audience does. But uh, this sort of intimate experience that you're talking about, I mean, that's why, and I don't think we've talked about it, only two people are allowed into yes. a room at the same time so that it wouldn't have the feeling that you're like, you know, walking into an auditorium and right. there's a lot of acting going on, you know? 
It really was designed. And I love what you say, that who's the ghost in the room. That's what it That's felt like. Awesome. It was uh, just came to my, and then And then um, my wife was, was there with Billie Holiday. And, you know, she put her arm on my wife as if it was her father. And she was just, I just saw my wife's eyes well up and just, it was so real. You know, it was, wow. it just felt like wow. you were there. And anyway, and the, I guess just for fun, is the hotel haunted? <laughs> we, I'm convinced it is. We think it is. We yeah. think it is. Yeah. When we were rehearsing, like strange lights were going on. Oh and yeah. Off. And I mean, always, you know, but I think they're all, the lights. But they're all they're, they're all friendly ghosts. Though. Yeah, they're all friendly. But there was talk of like, oh, everybody should stay overnight in the hotel. Everybody should. And I was like, no. And I know. Like, she was what? the only one. What are you talking about? And I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. And then like my sister was like, honey, maybe you should. It'll be fun. Like. I mean, they're gonna yeah. try, like go for it, and then like there was one night that I was done and I turned off my air conditioner and my light because I'm very like I'm always thinking about saving energy. So like I turned off and then I looked back and I looked into my room and it was like nighttime and I was like, oh, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's just no way. None. Yeah, I don't know that I would stay there. Have, I mean, it, it's a cool space, but it's a fantastic yeah. space, but no. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. They were like, I was like, you would need to bring like a seven foot St. Louis and like, I don't know how much you had about Wena and yeah, Sage yeah. and yeah. they pull for a, a month. I, I, and I'd still be like, Meh. Yep. And all the lights on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So Carmen, so I wanted to get turned to you now. So I walk into this room and you're sitting at a typewriter. Tell me what was going on there. Um, that's actually probably one of place. my favorite yeah. moments when I'm, when when my character Conchi is trying to figure out a poem, because I'm a writer, so I spend fifty percent of my no more. I would I actually say I spend like eighty percent of my artistic life with a computer, and questioning all my life choices <laughs> and depressed and like what am I doing? And I keep looking at the pool, wanting to throw the computer into the pool. So I'm very familiar with a keyboard. And that moment of like it just not coming out and just wanting wanting to say so much and having it not be, and that moment of solitude to have that moment of solitude be viewed mm. is is very interesting to me. Yeah. And I when I even after I leave the room and nobody follows me back into my room after our scene, and I reload the next page and I keep typing like that. Those are my favorite moments of the. That's when I feel like I'm really that Conchi really takes over, ironically enough. When when I'm just not doing anything, when I'm just totally quiet and in that zone. Yeah, yeah. So what's the time period? What's the? Uh, 1968. Okay. And it's when the Republican convention was going to be in Miami, and it's when um, Nixon's camp was uh, really weaponizing the Cuban community. They decided, you know, Southern strategy. Let's get these Cubans on board. So they really tried to exploit. They're like, you know, you guys want power? We'll give you power. You guys want this? We'll give you that. You want a senator? We'll give you a senator. And that's when they really turned, even though the Democrats had been the ones that had given us the Cuban Adjustment Act and gotten us into this country, even though Kennedy showed up at the Super Bowl mortified by what had happened at Bay of Pigs because it wasn't his plan and he knew he shouldn't have gone through with it, but it was he was a new president. It was a major mistake, even, you know, even though it was, um, I think, Claude Pepper that made it so that Cuban professionals could go ahead and recertify and, be, and continue their life as professionals, mm -hmm. the, the Republicans very quickly said, we're going we're gonna to give these people power. Mm. We're going to give these people a voice. And they really decided to weaponize our community. 
And I, I love that Juan wrote about that moment because um, he very succinctly says, you know, the Republican Party doesn't care about Cubans. They want lapdogs. Mm. And for to, in my estimation that uh, the Republican Party has used us as lapdogs throughout the years. Um, you know, they show up at Versailles. They do the little talk. They cafecito in the air, you know, Romney's famous papaya moment. You're like, come on. Like, I mean, we hit rock bottom, thank God. But I think that, um, you know, being Republican was synonymous with being Cuban for so long. And it's something I always thought was ridiculous because Cuba itself was actually a very progressive island politically. Mm-hmm. Our constitution was amazing and it was liberal and, and it was, there's a reason so much art and so much, so many advancements came out of such a, you know, this island in the Caribbean, especially in comparison to the other islands. Mm. So I love that Juan captured that moment of, wait a minute, what's happening? Because at the same time, I understand why the Cuban community felt slighted. I understand why they felt betrayed. Democrats and Republicans have used the community throughout, no question. But I think that exploring that moment in 1968 was super important to understand where how we got to where we are now. So I love that that Juan kind of you know does that. Juan, what made you go there? That's fascinating to me. How, what was the inspiration for that? Well, you know, I mean, I I I I, I was really interested in 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 the moment, you know, where things began to sort of um, kind of separate, you know, and and become differing political beliefs. I was ah, just really okay. curious about okay. well, how far does this go? Um, and I mean, you know, it was just a combination of things. Um, you know, um, the, the neighborhood during that time, you know, the wave of uh, Cuban immigrants that were coming here. Right. So these are things that, you know, it was natural for me that, you know, that moment was explored, that story be told. Um, I've had, interestingly enough, I've had several people come into the Tower Hotel during the last couple of weeks and say stuff like, oh my God, me tío Manolo used to live here in 1965. Like when, right when he'd come, right after he came from Cuba, you know, which is around the same time that this scene was set. But yeah, so it was just, you know, it was my, my, my exploration into, you know, the conservative Republican ideology that exists you know, within That's, the Cuban it's community. It's fascinating because I had never heard that before. I didn't. I didn't know that part of history. Oh, it, it was very. It was yeah. a very specific plan. It was like, oh, okay. You know what? We're picking them out. Yeah. On the and other it makes hand, sense. it makes sense yeah. because on the other hand, these people are fleeing communism, and then what's happening here? The counterculture, where yeah. it's t- it's about take down the man. You know, rightfully so. Right. They had to break things down a little bit, but then like you know the quote unquote hippies we're talking about revolution and Cubans were coming from Cuba saying, wait, 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 we, this is just what, oh, hold on. So I think they saw, oh, here's an opportunity to separate these people out. In Joan Didion's book, Miami, she says the most brilliant thing, which is that Miami has never cared about being in conversation with New York or LA. It was always in conversation with um, DC and Havana. Yeah. And in a That's way, having that political power yeah. definitely helped us. Um, you know, aligning ourselves with a Republican Party, of course, especially in the 80s with Reagan and the, the, the marketing of the Republican Party, I thought was was spectacular. Mm. You know, this yeah. the idea of bootstraps and all this stuff and the yeah. Dems were having a low. But yeah, it resonated with the Cubans. I mean, it resonated yeah. because if you lose everything because of a, a movement that starts as a progressive movement, mm-hmm. you know, you're good. You're, there's going to be backlash. 
you know, but then how, and this is what I love, again, a testament to Juan's writing, is you can't lose yourself because they've taken everything away from you. You can't lose who you are because then they really win. Yeah. Like, I, I was in New York during 9-11, you know. I, I, the first thing I did before the second tower fell, I went to the corner where the Yemenis uh, bodega guys were, and I was like, are you guys okay? And they're like, yeah, and I bought, like, 10 gallons of water. I think it was like Miami disaster mode because I was like, this is <laughs> So like, I bought 10 gallons of water and then I, one block I went, I brought the gallons back to my house and then I went to make a second trip. By the time I was there on my second trip, all the Italian tough guys in the neighborhood were like surrounding the bodega and I was like, what's going on, Mugwara? And he was like, no, they're here to make sure nobody does anything to us. Wow. They were like protecting, wow. you know? So it's like, I, and I was never afraid. I've never been afraid of like Muslims or Arabs because I live with so many Muslims and Arabs in New York. And, you know, so it never made me lose who I was. I understand why it would make others lose who they were, but that's the point that Juan makes. I think that when you have, in an era that we're living right now, where Trump is um, attacking the, the press, I mean, freedom of speech, basic, which is like the first thing that Castro did, and you have people at Versailles saying, no, porque Trump sabe lo que hace. You're like, what's happening? <laughs> it's pedagogy of the oppressed. Yeah. So I think that that's also a credit to, you know, what his writing that he he knows how to parallel the moment without beating it over the head. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, yeah, you're gonna. I was as soon as you said that about Trump and the Cubans, I was thinking about something that we talked about a few weeks ago with Raúl Martinez and Hialeah, which is something a little bit similar in the sense of like an ongoing leader, ongoing drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and the ongoing leader continually being elected despite. You know, a lot of look. If, yeah. if, if, if Cubans were Cubans, if we had one tenth of what we have, artistically, a sense of business, sense of fun. If we had one tenth of that in our politics, we'd be set. We'd be set. But the truth is, we're so invested in other things that we never cared about our politics mm -hmm. to take our politics seriously, and to think in terms of let's go deeper. Yeah. You know, let's go deeper. Question these other presidents that have promised us the world and never got us anything to think, you know what? Like, fine, you want to give it to uh, Cuba, but los viejitos en Hialeah still need their health care, Marco Rubio. So what yeah. are you doing? Yeah. Why are you trading their health care to, to, to stick it to Cuba when everybody in Cuba that you hate is already a billionaire? Like, really fill their coffers? They're overflowing. Mm. So why are you sacrificing our community to, 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 to win some kind of point against theirs? And I think also if you look, the Republican Party is doing the same with the Venezuelan community. They're coming over now and they're the ones that are going into Doral and saying, we're on your side. And that's where I think the Democrats are failing. Because mm. the Democrats have to show up in Doral and say, yeah, we know that Maduro is horrible. So it's interesting that history is kind of repeating itself on all levels. We have una mala copia de Fidel, que es Trump. And we have a mala copia of Lee Atwater, which is Marco Rubio doing the same exact thing to Venezuelans mm. that mm. they did to the Cubans back in the 50s. Mm. When, you're, when you're playing this um, this role, what was your character? Conchi. Conchi. And Monica's was? Um, Adelita. Adelita. Conchi de Adelita. Um, it's kind of that conversation, right? Yeah. It's, it's very much... I, I, I looked at uh, Monica's eyes as she was looking at you. And you both had a moment there where you just stop and you're looking at each other like, you don't get it. But, and you're, you're just, you know, you're, it's like a, what do you say next? And you're like, it's frustration. 
because it's when these idea these narratives get planted it's hard to to shake them and i think that's what you yeah one of the things you were trying to yeah and i yeah. mean you know and i think um i also wanted to find a way to sort of to tell both sides of what ev what what everyone is feeling right yeah to tell right. both sides you know right. as honestly and uh um as truthfully as as i as i could as a writer you know um so there's a kind of um i, th I, I mean i think i'm being balanced you know to tell yeah. the whole story yeah and it really boils down to to people and like you said you know the their personal narrative you know and I think you're being very balanced, Juan, because what you don't see is all the people that come into the room, and it, it, there's no rhyme or reason. Sometimes they're nodding after everything Monica says, and sometimes they're nodding after everything yeah. I say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and I, it, and that's the thing. And, and again, his gift as a writer, you know, you have to show really both sides of the argument because there is merit to both sides. There, yeah. there is, you know, yeah, that makes perfect sense to both sides. And when you can be honest about that then you can move forward. But if you can't be honest about it, you know, and what I love is that Juan presents both sides, they're equal, they're, they're, they're worthy competitors. Yeah. You know, they're, they're both making a point. Obviously, the, the argument against coexistence was unfortunate, but that was just their fear. You know, mm. when fear takes over, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. Like in, in your domino monologue, that of the of when they talk about Mariel, where there's no fe where there's fear, there's no compassion. When there's fear, there's no compassion, right? Which is a right. brilliant, yeah. brilliant line that that you know that he wrote for that mm. for a person talking that had come through Mariel and had been vilified as a Marielito. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask about that. That's in one of the rooms downstairs, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so <clears throat> the rooms upstairs, you know, for the listeners who, who you know haven't gotten a chance to come, um, it, the actors. It's not interactive so much. You you watch a scene unfold. Yes. But downstairs, you can have a conversation. And in some of the rooms, you're, you know, you're like I, I it's just funny. Just sitting in the lobby just now, I watched the guy who plays the or who played the manager come in on Friday <laughs> night. I was like, oh, I wonder if he remembers the, you know, he was he was ripping on me on on Friday <laughs> night. And and so it's it's neat because you're a part of the the experience downstairs. So I, I'm actually um, fascinated by that the idea that those were. They seem so extemporaneous uh, downstairs. The the particularly the Domino monologue. Tell tell me a little bit more about that. Like you know, how much license is the actor given, or, or you know, encouraged to to just ad lib? I guess. Sure, sure. Um, well, you know, well, one thing about the second floor, um, it's it's what we call the uh, the, the close up of the building, and uh, all of the stories in all of the rooms have to do with. Uh, a particular time and a particular thing that the building was at, 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 at a given time. The downstairs, the first floor, which is the fluid, crazy block party feel, is about the neighborhood. So all of, you know, and, and it's peopled by, you know, by individuals, you know, who we recognize as these sort of characters. Um, what, I, what I did, because I'd never written anything immersive before, so I was kind of like a little, I, I didn't know what to do initially. Like, well, how do you write something immersive? Because it all depends on, you know, on what the audience does. I yeah. mean, how do you do that? So what, what Tamala and I decided was that I would write monologues um, that either told the backstory of each character or monologues that the, act, the characters would sort of um, use as a jumping point. So a lot of the, the, the monologues right now the actors weave in and out of them but they have absolute they have a roadmap they need to hit certain things 
that tell about the history or that tell about a particular thing that we think is important to, to be told. Um, but other than that, it's improv and they, it's like, it's a, it's, they're riffing, you know? It's yeah. like music, man. Mm-hmm. They're just like, whatever you give them, they're gonna go with it and they're just gonna like, whatever, yeah. whatever. I mean, yeah, that, that psycho hotel manager is a fine example, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think he's improving the whole thing. Yeah. You know, he's just like going Well, I think crazy. my wife, probably five times, and we just saw it on Friday, but she just keeps laughing and reminding me of the, the cafecito girl. <laughs> How much oh, fun she that was. was. She's fantastic, yeah, Marcella yeah. Paguaga, man. Yeah, she yeah. nailed it. And yeah. I, I want to say, this was my first time uh, experiencing it as a viewer or as a, you know, a, Participant, um, immersive yeah, theater. Sure. And yeah. It, I mean, you knocked it out of the park. Like it's it's fantastic. It's such a neat experience to just be right there and to to interact. But but it's it's even more fascinating to know that they have, you know, such you know that roadmap and they're hitting the points because I would I would have guessed that it was just more of of the you know oh, we'll see where tonight goes feeling. But man, you know, as much as I would love to take credit for everything, you know, <laughs> I really, really can't. It's a testament to Tamala Woodard, the director, because this is her thing. You know, she takes text and then she works with the actors and they devise it. And this, what you see is what they reach, you know. Um, and then you've, we have a, a movement um, director, Octavio Campos, who worked with a lot of the actors, especially on the first floor. All of that movement that seems sort of random, random yeah. it's, no, there's, they're, yeah, it's orchestrated, you know, they're, they're sort of, you know, they, they have freedom, but it's something that, you know, they were kind of sort of rehearsed to do and, you know, and leading the audience where they need to go without realizing that they're being led. Yeah. That is the key to immersive theater. And, and Tamla is extraordinary. She's and amazing. She's, I, I can't amazing. say enough. I, I've worked with some really wonderful directors, and Tamla is definitely like among the top of them. The audition was a three hour audition. Oh, wow. So you would come in and you would explore the space, and they, she asked you to improvise, she asked you to sing. She asked each of us to take a room and come up with our own story in the room. I was very proud of my story, Juan. Mm, I think story. my story booked like my job, even though my story has nothing to do with me. Um, <laughs> or my the job that I got has nothing to do with me. But um, I, T- Tamla is really wonderful because she just accepts everything you give her. But then she knows where to nip and tuck. Yes. And yes. she knows how to gently f- move you into where she needs you to be. There's no ego. It's really about the work. At all. Mm. At it's all. just about like, okay, so what do you think? All right, that's interesting. Let's explore that. And I mean, I, get, I think when you're really good, you don't need the ego. So yeah. she, she's really, I mean, amazing to work with. She, she's, she's a joy. Well, like I said, the first thing she said to me is, what's important to you? You're writing this. Yeah. What is, I mean, that is, I mean, and you know, I mean, for... For some, for a director to to get to, to to sort of ask that of a playwright, it's like on the first day, yeah. it's just like yeah. okay, I'm here to sort of help you get that whatever it is off the ground. So immediately, you know, yeah. it was just like okay, yeah. her ability to give and just yeah, yeah. So this week, as we're doing this interview, it was the last week of the show, and another week was added. Yes. Okay. I was hoping for another week to be added because <laughs> I heard it was sold out. To, all right, and I wanted to bring my daughter next week, but it's, yeah. But, but anyway, my attraction, like I said earlier to this, was that it's a historic piece. Um, do you feel that uh, from the responses you've gotten from the audience that's come to see the play, are, are they looking 
are, are people coming for the artistry of it and walking away with something more because of the historicity of it? You know, I think, I think I'll, I've had a few people say, you know, I came because it looked like a fun party, yeah. you know, and it seemed in interesting, but I really didn't know what to expect, you know, and, uh, and I think people are walking out with at least a little bit of what I intended was that they have a greater understanding of the neighborhood yeah. and the history that makes that is that is little Havana yeah. you know and that that to me is you nailed it I mean for yeah. me that's just that's what I wanted yeah. I want you to know no but I'm going to add on to this because it, yes Juan and that's all very important but again I think what your gift is that you really help people see themselves reflected and that is extraordinary about again and wow, I know I'm yeah. using that work word a lot but I'm seeing it in the room, okay? That moment, we have a room where my sister, a moment where my sister and I um, hug in my room and a, a mother and daughter, they look like mother and daughter were in my room and as I'm hugging my sister, the daughter gets up and hugs me from behind and the mother gets oh up and my hugs goodness. my sister from behind and w the four of us are in this embrace and it was a shockingly beautiful moment. Wow. And you don't get that moment unless the work that you're presenting tells the people that are watching it, I see you. Yeah. And I think people are walking out with their humanity reflected, which is why they're going nuts. Because we've all had that conversation with our, our parents about politics, regardless of, you know, rarely do you totally agree on everything, you know? We've all connected with a Billie Holiday figure, a singer who's body just couldn't take what their spirit you know needed mm. you know mm -hmm. we, we, we we've all we've unfortunately too many of us experienced loss and regret and guilt and violence and 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 I think that that's that's where where Juan's humanity comes into play as a playwright because he, he allows us to see ourselves through his work and I think that's why people are going crazy because if it were just oh look it's immersive it's spectacle yeah but, you know, Juan always leaves a tip on the table and people talk about the things that I, my, my phone's blowing up for people asking me, hey, I saw your track. I want to see other tracks mm -hmm. because people are, are leaving and thinking about it for days. So I, I walked out that night. I don't know if you remember. I walked up to you. You did. And you hugged me. Yeah. And, and I was like, I was really appreciative of that because at the end of the day, I am an arrogant actor and I need applause. <laughs> I need applause and adulation and curtain yes. calls and we don't get them with Miami yeah. Motel stories. Yeah. <laughs> right? So every day I walk home like a dope and I'm like, <laughs> no applause. Go home and suck your thumb on but the But you did yeah. get, come and give me a hug and that was actually very meaningful for me. Mm -hmm. And I, and you told me what you told me, and I told Juan, hey, this happened to me today, and you made that moment. Yeah, I was in, I was in tears, and I, and I can't explain to you why I was in tears. Well, as you, as you and Monica were acting, I are playing that that role. The interaction was just everything. It just brought like a flood of memories that aren't mine. Like I said, right. It, that's the weird Cuban thing, which is basically oh. we live through our parents memories mm -hmm. that's our lifeblood yeah. yeah and and i and i was just in this moment watching 
this played out. And and for a moment, I, I, w- I, I couldn't even hear what you were saying. I looked at the Vix Vaporub, a.k.a. <laughs> yeah, Vic yeah. Vaporub, <laughs> on the thing, which I found out later Monica was really using it because her voice was gone. Yeah. She was really using it, <laughs> it wasn't but a prop. I'm keeping that prop this <laughs> it was week. A fantastic I don't care if she feels prop. better yeah. because I love that prop. I love yeah. opening it up and smelling it now yes. and I like putting it on my temples. Like I love that prop now. So my grandmother would say... I, would, I had a cough when I was little, Mark. I'm, I'm, I'm explaining to Mark this phenomenon. He's from Indiana, so got to fill him in on his From the wow. Chicago part of so I told, oh, Chicago, Chicago, Jesus. Chicago. So I told Worse, him. because you think you know better, but you don't. Damn. <laughs> That's pretty So accurate. my grandmother would say, uh, you know, I had a chest congestion. All our grandmothers would say, Ponte Vic Vaporub. Yep. I would, what's Vic Vaporub? <laughs> what is that Vic Vaporub? Ponlo debajo de tu pullover, your pullover, your T-shirt. So put some Vicks Vapor Rub under your T-shirt. Oh! And remember the newspaper? Yes, on the chest. On the chest. Stain the T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and tissues or paper towels. It was so really comfortable for sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> so, but thank you so much, both of you, because, and I'm not ending it with this, I'm thanking you for that scene because it really, it, it, it gripped me. And it was, it was very powerful. Thank That's you awesome. so much. What's next for each of you? Tell us what you guys are working on right now. Uh, I've, yeah, I've got a, I've got a pretty, you know, full plate right now. Um, I, you know, everything sort of, I, I mean, nothing I can really talk about, but I've got about three sort of uh, projects that I'm in talks right now. Basically, Excellent. you know, um, I, I am, I'm, I'm going to be working on one more immersive um, mm. piece for another company here in Miami, um, and then some, some other stuff that, you know, still sort of. In the works. In the works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But you know, so I'm I'm I'm, I'm busy. Well, I'm, I'm all about immersive right now. now, so I'm gonna look up that. I know one it's for awesome. Sure, right? yeah. I feel like, oh my god, I never want to do anything else. Yeah, that's I amazing. <laughs> we got to yeah. figure out a way to get the applause though for the actors. I know. Yes. Well, Seriously. Yeah. You know, we'll have a Yay. maybe it's a laugh lights. track that <laughs> <laughs> you can sort of take with fate. you Juan, from your walk. Yeah. I, I want the live adulation, Juan. You need it. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll try to make that happen. Yeah. Thank you, Huang. And Thank what you. about you, Carmen? Um, I, uh, I'm finishing up a screenplay actually called Ocho. It's about a, a movie that takes place in this area. Um, we're going to shoot the short of it, I think, in January. I'm not directing this one. I'm, I'm letting um, Luis Gisbert, who's Cuban-American, a phenomenal artist, is directing. Um, and then I'm working on Story House... Um, the Story House Division of Univision, their new TV show, Juguete Perdidos, they produced El Chapo. Mm-hmm. And their oh. new show is going to be Juguete Perdidos, and I'm uh, consulting on that. And uh, I just uh, adapted my follow-up to Rum and Coke, Fake, into a screenplay. Okay. So I'll be looking into, you know, getting that done, seen, whatever. And then distribution for Rum and Coke is what I'm working on now to... If you know, if we don't reach the deal that we want, I'll just self-distribute and let the cards fall where they may. I'm looking forward to that one for sure. It's, it's yeah. fun. I'm happy. So another thing I didn't mention earlier, uh, you're an advisor uh, for Netflix show. Oh yeah, for one day at a time. One day at a time, which we've enjoyed as a family. Yeah, yeah. And one of our favorite, and, and it's it, what's what's interesting is as I'm watching, the, it's a Cuban family in L.A., right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm watching Gloria, this. Gloria Calderon Colette is the executive producer. Her, she grew up in on the West Coast, and she's been in L.A. forever. But her mom is from La Vibora, where oh, wow. my family's from. That's so oh, cool. Yeah. That's right I, next to where my family's from. Oh. Santiago La Vega. They oh, okay. Next door. Yeah. Okay. So I met her mom. I was just in L.A. for a month because I had written a musical, and we were developing it. 
and I met her mom like in person for the first time. So we were just like all chatting about La Viura, which was interesting. Oh, cool. I worked on the first season too. I just didn't know her mom. But it's like, you know, at the end of the day, Cuba's like fits in a coffee cup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So. so I'm watching the show and I'm doing what we all do when we're watching a show that's about Cubans. We're going, okay, where's the Mexican? Where's the, the, where's the Puerto Rican? Where's this? Sure, and, where, sure. and I was like, oh, well, this one's actually pretty good. Because, you know, we got to call bullshit if it's not really cute. Of Cuban. course, but of course. I was going, oh, so when I read that you were there, I was like, oh, it's Carmen. And, and Well, and I mean, <laughs> to Gloria's credit. it real. Yeah, you know? no, no, no. <laughs> Gloria is amazing, and she has a lot of Latinos on staff. But, um, you know, she needed, she didn't have a Cuban writer. I'm, I'm not in L.A., I'm here. And she, but she wanted it to be, it's a story of her family. So she wanted to make sure that we were saying everything Cuban, you know, just any yeah, little yeah. detail yeah. and any, any joke, make sure it was Cuban. You know, she, she held a very long casting process and the best actors for the roles were a Colombian and a Puerto Rican. Yes. But you know what? They were the best actors for the roles. And, and um, I think Justina Machado has done an incredible job. Mm -hmm. Um, portraying uh, just a character with so much heart. Yeah. She, you know, they all. I think they all capture the essence of being Cuban yeah, really definitely. beautifully. They did a beautiful job. They, they really do. Rita Moreno, who's Puerto Rican, yeah. and by the way, I had a massive crush on her growing <laughs> I up. I mean, who did it? She's, she's, she's amazing. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, she said one of the lines that we actually repeat at home all the time, where she's sitting very, you know, stone faced at the table, and she says. Red lipstick is for putas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we walk around just randomly saying that because it was brilliant. That's so funny. She did that a great was job Gloria. That, 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 I did not correct that. <laughs> I did, the, the real pleasure of being the technical consultant on that is that, A, every script I get, I always think, okay, okay, okay. And then I'm like, oh, like I get to read the scripts beforehand. Yeah. And it's really such a well done show. It's so beautifully written. But um, that when, when, like when they mention there's a, a few really nice surprises in season two. Yeah. Um, when they mention these really Cuban things, I love that I don't have to correct it. That's great, right? It's cool. Yeah. It's, it's there because yeah. I mean Gloria's commitment to her experience yep. is so that it's there. So I I have I have basically move around commas and correct some Spanish, but you know it's um they're, they're really great and Gloria's amazing. Like I being on set, I I, I went to see a live taping. And it was just like everybody. It's just like a genuine love fest. Yeah, like yeah. everybody's there for each other. They're excited awesome. to work together, and 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 they're really excited about bringing a Cuban story to life, specifically a Cuban story. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. kudos to Gloria and kudos to you. I'll, and, I'll and pass it along. Definitely, it was fantastic. Juan and Juan Sanchez and Carmen Pelayas, both of you. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you. And thank you, it's been guys. an honor and a pleasure. And thank oh. you for Miami Motel Stories. Thank Any you. chance it'll be extended another week? No, ah. I don't think. I don't okay. think so. I think right. you know. I you know. Yeah. This. Okay. You know, well, you know. it was fantastic. Oh, and one thank more you. thing, I will say though that you know this is one of three hotel projects. Oh, okay. So just putting it out there. Just right. you know, keep your people keep your eyes and ears open. Yeah, keep. They're anything going juggernaut in. Juggernaut does. Anything juggernaut theater company. They're like. going to be going into uh, two other neighborhoods, and uh, producing this kind fantastic. of theater in another sort of um, hotel or cool. building. Very so. cool. And, and and also huge kudos to Tanya because yeah. Tanya yes. is investing in Miami talent. It's huge. That's and, awesome. And a lot of a lot of companies, they bring in people from New York or LA, which is fine, but Tanya's knows that 
that what's here is amazing yeah. and she's mining this gold like she's the one that's looking for it and developing it and anything juggernaut does should be like supported just yeah. if, if only because of that beyond the fact that the, the the bar for excellence is always high it's because tanya believes in the city and she believes in the arts in the city and she's really helping develop it we got to cool. bring Tanya on for an interview. I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to bring in Tanya. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. We appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you.